Hi, this is Eric Chase, Afternoon Host on Cumulus Media. It's Felitos Q105 and your host right here at 68 Words. With today's guest, we will start with her perspective on disability and accessibility, but after that, we will all be in school with Washington Local School Superintendent Katie Anstat, who is filled with boundless energy and nugget after nugget of wisdom for anybody. Like, why failure is more important than you think. I didn't feel like we were preparing that mindset of failing is part of learning. And that's what STEM does, right? You, you'd fail a lot in STEM. As a matter of fact, you build, you build failure into the process. It's so fun to walk into a STEM classroom. It's fun to walk into any of our classrooms, but a STEM classroom is just a place where failure happens all the time. And kids learn, oh yeah. And you know, that's part of sports, right? I mean, you swing and you miss. We, I think, are much more intentional about at least exposing kids to a lot more careers and possibilities and saying that it's okay to set a goal and then reset a goal. And part of that is just trying and failing and trying again. People, places, and spaces. Doing disability differently. Sharing first-hand experience in our podcast. Inspired by the 68 words that spoke the disability rights movement. Learn where it started and what's next. Hi, my name is Stuart James, and I'm the executive director here at the Ability Center. And welcome to 68 Words. Would you do me a favor? Can we start with you correctly pronouncing your last name for me? Mm-hmm. And stat. Okay. So get there and stat. And, and, and stat. <laughs> that's a t-shirt. It is, right? Um, all, I, I'm having kind of a fangirl moment because you you are frequently in the news. Um, mo, most, it, I guess it's 50-50 good and bad. But that, that comes with the line of work, right? It does. I feel like we're weighing on the side of mostly good lately. We've yeah. had certainly, you know, an incident recently that was very difficult. But I feel like our community, our school, our kids... Our families came through that as best we could. Talking about the shooting at the football game. I am. Um, also, you get to demo some middle schools. Let the kids do it. I know, right? I actually, I have a facilities director that would like to take the first swing, I think. So, you know, he's the one that's in there when the water is up to their ankles or the pipe breaks or whatever. So he might want to have to the first swing. You, uh, you have a very unique and diverse background mm-hmm. uh sales included so right. hey if you could sell some sledgehammer sledgehammers to take down the middle schools to raise some money for the district why not do it why not i golden sledgehammers right there love you it. go love it uh that'll be double the price of the regular sledgehammer it will. It will. um let me let me uh hit you with an ability center question right off the bat and we mm-hmm. can dive into to some of the other things including some of the unique jobs you've had in the past mm-hmm. okay um when when someone thinks about Washington Local, uh, the school district, and accessibility, what do you want them to think? That that's the place to be. That we look like the model. As the city is trying to become the most disability friendly city in the country, I would like to be the model for that in schools. I think that that's a challenge that we have to ask ourselves every day. Are we? And it's funny. Sometimes we think that we're doing a really good job someplace, and someone comes back and says, oh, "I think you could do better there." And that's we welcome that. Um, recently, that was a Gaga pit issue. I don't even. I, I, I've never played Gaga ball, but it is a thing at Washington Local. And someone really challenged us on that. Like is your gaga pit accessible and you know what we needed to move one to make sure that it was and i think that's something that some people take as a complaint i take it as you know i think we have to remain in the learner's mindset and i think that's something that when we're talking about inclusion and equity that we have to constantly be sitting in that learner's mindset um in your 
which is fully a COVID tenure as the superintendent, um, what are some of the things when it comes to accessibility and disability friendliness that you have been able to implement? So I, when I came to Washington Local, the, the very few months that I was there pre-COVID, right. uh, and it was a normal world, we were, we were on the ballot for a levy, building yeah. a new school, I had had some experience with that in Perrysburg, and I was really, really excited about all the possibilities there. And we passed the levy, and we brought a team together, and then COVID hit, right? So we had, I had, immediately when I got there had some questions about how kids were districted. And a little bit of that is, with everyone's best intention at heart, we often put kids where resources are. And one of the questions that I asked as a new person, I get to be the new person, was, okay, I get that the resources are there, but why are they going to a different school than their sibling? So if I'm standing at a bus stop or sitting at a bus stop waiting, why am I on one bus and my sibling on another? Those are some of the things that right away I wanted to tackle. And then COVID hit, and it kind of delayed us. And as much as I wanted to plow forward, I often do, uh, my director of student services said, you know, I think we should wait. The kids have had enough disruption. Let's just leave them in their schools for now. We weren't even really going to school at that point. Right. So we didn't. But we have unpeeled that now uh, for the most part, except for where parents might have requested to stay someplace. For the most part, our kids now, this year for the first time, and last year in more of a pilot, kids are back in their neighborhood schools. And that's again, meant that I'm getting some challenges. You know, I we've got teachers that maybe necessarily haven't had students with uh, these kinds of challenging abilities in their classrooms before. And so, again, I like to sit in that learner's mindset and say that we're all learning, but you know, that's challenging when you have 25, 26, 27 kids in your classroom, and th- this isn't something you face before. But I will tell you that our this is something Washington Local has always been known for, and now it's just more, I think it's more prevalent across all schools before where we we had a couple of schools that were very good at it. Mm-hmm. I think all of our schools are good at it now. Let me let me go down the route of, of teachers. Obviously, COVID has made everything on the planet um, transformational. Um, how have the teachers adapted to a new mindset of being more open to accessibility and, and understanding some of the challenges that some kids, as long as their teachers, will have? You know, I think that COVID actually accelerated that. And I I often look at the opportunities that we had during COVID where we accelerated learning. For example, we were not a one-to-one district in all grades. And we had to become a one-to-one district because our kids were going to be at home. So that really accelerated the learning there. I think we got really good at professional development. Um, We developed a model where it was almost like a national conference online. And we've actually had universities look at that model and say, Tell us a little bit more about how you did that. So that's great as a as a K-12 district to have a university come to you and say, hey, we can learn from you. We love that. So I think teachers have had multiple opportunities to learn. I think a lot of us look at some of the things we learned there and said, yeah, that's going to carry forward in my practice forever and ever because all kids can access. Yeah. You know, if I've got a kid that's home sick for 10 days in a quarantine, now they're still in school, even though my class might be meeting. So I think we learned a lot and I think we're getting better all the time. We're really, really excited uh, to have Katie Novak, who's um, a universal design for learning, very, very well-known uh, speaker, come to us in December right before our holiday break. And she's going to talk to uh, teachers in 7th through 12th grade about even more of that. Like, how do we sharpen that saw and get even better at that universal design approach? I wonder if if uh, your job, your learning curve has been easier than, say, um, 
where you have high praise for uh, in Perrysburg, mm-hmm. which is not nearly as diverse as Washington local. In fact, when um, I'm not originally from here, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm very proud of, and it's made it easier for myself as opposed to others in these transformational times. Um, my, I tell people, my schools look like Whitmer, where mm-hmm. it was a menagerie mm-hmm. of different colors, ethnicity, ethnicity, ethnicities, and everything else. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's Whitmer. And I'm, I'm wondering if that array of color across the spectrum, it also applies to the teachers as well. So the diversity, they see it. It's part of their life. So they can learn things pretty quickly. Right. I, I would agree with that. I think there's an area where that's actually part of our strategic plan is to make sure that when we're doing hiring, we are purposefully seeking diverse teachers, classroom aides, custodians, nutrition workers across the board. And we've actually really done a nice job with that goal. I, you have to have a North Star. That's part of our North Star is seeking diverse candidates that look like our student body. Uh, part of it is recruiting candidates. So we have a program right now with our, it started last year with our eighth graders. It's continuing with our freshmen this year with BGSU called Diversifying the Teaching Profession because that's a problem for colleges. Like we all want to recruit a diverse teaching profession, but kids of color are not selecting that. Why aren't they selecting it? Because they don't see themselves in the classroom. Right. So they don't see them. It's the same in nursing. It's the same in law. It's the same you know, across many. So we've been very intentional about it. BGSU works with us through a grant through the Department of Education. And we have our diverse staff that kind of mentors students that we've tapped on the shoulder at a very young age, as eighth graders, as ninth graders, and said, we think you'd make a great teacher. You demonstrate empathy. You work well with others. You help kids. We think you have teaching in your future. And they work with a university partner. They work with one of our diverse staff. And then they come together monthly, and we take them to college campuses, and we talk to them about how great the teaching profession is. I think that's one of the things that I, I we watched escalate and then de-escalate very quickly, quickly was respect for the teaching profession. I will tell you that I've been on both sides. So I can speak to this as many people cannot. That is a tough, tough job. I can't think of a lot of tougher jobs that I've done in my whole life than standing in a classroom with a diverse set of learners and trying to teach state standards and get them to pass tests and even sit still for a minute so you can get the instructions out so that they can get wiggly. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's, I hope that we begin to see that teaching profession elevated again. It's one of the ways we're being intentional about it, and we're also being very intentional about it with diverse students. Um, they don't make enough money in many cases, as we're finding out. Maybe you can use your sales background, and we can sell some advertising in the classrooms on right. the teachers. Wouldn't that be great? We could just have them wear T-shirts every day, you know, right? Prometica T-shirt, and then maybe Prometica could be, you know, sponsor that teacher. Sorry, Prometica. We can yeah. turn Whitmer into a, into the fifth, uh, third outfield wall i like that you know fifth third i would be happy to take them as a sponsor um let me let me ask you this because you you mentioned something that i've never heard before um and it's applied in sports Mm -hmm. where um kids are are identified early and Mm -hmm. you have a great sports program there specifically a football team and i know you have a newish basketball coach we have a newest newest she was pandemic hire uh anthony stacy phenom from bowling green state university yes you uh when sports, we try to identify kids, young young adults who will be stars and give mm-hmm. them scholarships and turn them into whatever they, they have the potential to be. Mm-hmm. And you just said you're trying to do that in a sense with teachers, mm-hmm. with the kids, which I've never heard before because usually, and again, these are transformational times. We should change everything we do if we can. Everything. Before it was, hey, what do, you want you, what do you want to be when you grow up? It used to be president. Now nobody wants that job. Firefighter, all the things. We would let kids walk their own path. Right. You kind of flip that, which I've never heard before. And if you identify talents in kids, say, hey, let me apprentice you or walk you down this path. 
I think something that, so I made a visit to China in 2009, and it was the most eye-opening. It was my first trip abroad even, and China was like a big, that's a big place to go when it's your first trip abroad. And I learned so much on that trip. Now, people ask me all the time, you know, what, why there? It happened to be a college board trip. I'm so glad I went. One of the things that I will tell you they're very good at there is identifying talent. They look for kids' passions and talent, and they nurture it. Now, they end up in a path that they really don't necessarily have a lot of choice about. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the beautiful things about America is that our kids have a ton of choice. The kids there were very shocked when I said our kids could change major in college. They were like, wait, what? Um, they get a choice? So, but I think it's not just there that we try to identify that talent early. One of the other things that we've done at Washington Local since the pandemic is start STEM programming for our kids. So we have a career tech center that is second to none, um, by the way, up for Toledo's best. So please go vote for the Whitmer Career Tech Center. There's my plug. And also Whitmer High School. But the we were, I didn't feel like we were preparing that mindset of failing is part of learning. And that's what STEM does, right? You, you'd fail a lot in STEM. As a matter of fact, you build, you build failure into the process. So I was really excited to invite that into Washington Local. That was kind of my background at Perrysburg uh, with a Hull Prairie, the school that we built there, which is a STEM-designated school. So I was really excited to invite that here. It's so fun to walk into a STEM classroom. It's fun to walk into any of our classrooms, but a STEM classroom is just a place where failure happens all the time, and kids learn, oh, yeah, and you know, that's part of sports, right? I mean, you swing and you miss, um, although the Phillies didn't miss much last night. No, they did um, not. It was quite over the fence, quite he a few was, times. He was, wow. pitching, he was, that was tipping incredible. his pitches. I tell you, it was an amazing thing to watch. So I, I have Phillies fans in my family, so we... I think are much more intentional about at least exposing kids to a lot more careers and possibilities and saying that it's okay to set a goal and then reset a goal. And part of that is just trying and failing and trying again. Um, I was listening to a recent podcast you did of someone who did not respond to my DM, but mm -hmm. the gentleman had a wonderful guest list, and mm -hmm. that's where I did all my prep for this. He's got an incredible guest list. What's yeah. his name? Brad Rieger. Tell him yeah. to respond to my DM. I will. I will I'll actually text him when we're done here it and was, say, Dr. Rieger, let's go. It was a heck of a podcast, and I learned a lot about you, um, and I was really excited to talk to you. Ma Mallory asked us to keep this to 30 minutes, and I want to respect your time, but we might go a little beyond because I have so many questions because you're such a fascinating person. Oh, thanks. Um, Go back to the to I think what you said during his podcast is we want to bake failure into things and mm -hmm. that's a that's a big thing of mine. Um, four years ago now it's COVID times everything's a little weird with the clock. Mm -hmm. I did a Epic Toledo Young Professionals presentation um, and it was tying male uh, failure together to mental health mm -hmm. and you know your sports. Mm -hmm. I use the Michael Jordan example mm -hmm. and look, you can parse things in a million different directions. We're not going to do sports talk radio here. Everybody knows he's the greatest basketball player ever. Six championships, never lost the finals, but he got his butt kicked a lot in the playoffs by the Pistons. Mostly he had to fail a lot before he could succeed. And I think I think a lot of people today, regardless of the generation, are afraid to fail mm -hmm. and don't understand its importance. So can you talk, rant, monologue more about how you vision baking failure into things and why it's so vital? You know, I none of us are going to be successful in 100% of what we do. We often see with our students that are of high ability that they are so afraid to fail that they take the safe route. And Thomas Edison is, you know, one of the easiest examples that comes to mind, but a hundred others who failure was a daily part 
of his life. Um, he failed a thousand times, right? What's, you remember so, the specific quote? I I, it was like 999, something like that, right? I didn't yeah. fail 99 times. Yeah, I, I learned 99 lessons. Right, exactly. And I think that we don't value failure enough. Uh, you know, the state doesn't value failure enough. The state, you know, gives us a state test for our kids from the time they're very, very little and starts to talk to them about what their achievement levels are. And, and honestly, as the state moved more to a growth model, I was excited about that because at least now we're talking about growth. But we're measuring a point in time and pigeonholing a kid into a reading group or a, uh, you're a math kid or you're not a math kid based on a test or a failure. And one of the most brilliant teachers I ever had never graded a test until you tried the second time. So they gave you back and they showed you what was wrong, but then you had the opportunity to go back and correct it. And guess what? You really learn when you do that, right? You go back and you learn. And it's probably why I liked math so much in college, because that particular professor was really good at baking failure. She knew we'd fail. She knew, you know, she knew some people wouldn't study at all. She knew some people would study hard and still fail. I think, you know, I've got a recent example of a relative of mine that um, probably bit off a little more than he could chew and failed. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to step back and say, okay, how, how do we make recovery from that? Sometimes it's that we mark, we mark time, we change things, we set a different goal. But we keep going. Um, I think one of your questions later was about a book that I would write, right? Maybe that was Mallory's no, question. Maybe Mallory's, Mallory's question. question. Mallory's question was, uh, and I was thinking so much about that, and I think it would be perseverance through purpose. So our purpose is, you know, to, not to solve a math problem. Our purpose is to become an, you know, a student of math, to understand math, to understand how math impacts the world. And when we label a kid because they failed, or an adult because they failed at some random math test in eighth grade, we've done such a disservice because now I've labeled myself as a failure. We have got to bake more of this in. It's what I love about STEM. It's what I love about music. Well, you talk STEM. It, mm-hmm. It's science. And the basis of science mm-hmm. is experimentation. Right. Like the Edison quote. Yep, exactly. I think music is another place. And that might be where I probably honed that skill a little bit as a kid. Mom, my dad was very much a get back up, try again, get back up, try again. Um, so I, I grew up with that mentality. But I think music... You know, the first time uh, an instructor sets a piece, sets a piece in front of you, I've heard that music. I've been in, you know, I've I've played that music and I've heard that music from bands and orchestras. It's not a good sound. It's not. But through practice, through perseverance, through trying again, and sometimes we're only taking little pieces of it and practicing it, and sometimes we're practicing the whole piece. I think music has a lot to teach us about trying, trying again, failing, coming back, trying it again. I think you and I could do an entire podcast, several hours long, going tit for tat with uh, with failure quotes. I have a lot of failure stories, but we don't want to go tit for tat there. You, we, you yeah. sh- but you should. You yeah, should. I do. I and, do. I'm never afraid to share those stories. And and so. f- failure is important. And but don't keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Right. I mean, that's what failure is about: is teaching us. You know, having us learn uh, a really powerful thing that happened to me again as I I was a director of teaching at Perrysburg, and we had just started STEM there, and our our STEM instructor there, who's just phenomenal, had 
the kids were done early and they wanted something else to do. And he's like, okay, design a Lego. So they went to design a Lego thinking, I've played with Legos my whole life. This is going to be easy. And then they realized it wasn't so easy, right? You have to build the little dots in. They were 3D printing it. So they designed it and then they realized it didn't fit with another one because there was something a little off. They failed eight times. And when they gave us the little Lego at our board meeting, it said V8 on it. Failure built in. So, and they were proud of that. They were proud that they had kept trying, kept trying, kept trying to those Legos fit together. Um, so often we're giving a final grade on something that was, you know, really, it's not final. We want them to keep learning. So I think that's that's probably my my biggest takeaway is let's just keep trying and let's learn from what we did wrong and adjust it. And here's the thing, it's probably going to be wrong the next time too. We need to keep making adjustments. Don't stop making adjustments. Just keep pushing forward. You have a prior relationship with the Ability Center. And it barks, it's, it likes to be pet, and it has four legs. Tell me about that. So our fir- my first for foray in that was actually getting to know the Ability Center through a colleague in Perrysburg who was bringing a puppy to work every day. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Um, and she twisted our arm, my husband's and my arm, into uh, coming to, you know, if you go to a graduation, it's over for you. Uh, you go, you see the difference those dogs make, and that's what happened to us. My husband, I have to give him 100% credit, Mike raised five dogs that went into service. Um, we, we had five different puppies. We loved them all, and it's so difficult to say goodbye. But then you get to graduation, and you watch in that moment the difference that that animal is going to make for that human and you realize that God knew what he was doing when he put dogs on earth. So right now, we have the great honor at Washington Local of having Granger as one of our family members. She is actually at Silver Creek today doing her work, uh, doing great work that she does every day. So we, what, we what love is her, What is her work like? So her work, li- is, her work is a little different every day. So her work is going to classrooms. Sometimes it's calming someone. A lot of times it's a reward. If we get through today without this, then you're going to get some Granger time. Sometimes it's reading to her. Uh, she's really very good at that she'll sit and put her chin in your lap and it looks like she's reading a book and that's kind of what she's doing she has I couldn't understand having raised service dogs when I first met Granger and spent a little time with her I couldn't understand initially why she wasn't in service because she's so brilliant so smart um she she can learn things so quickly um really just I the fastest I think of any dog I've ever seen that we ever worked with personally and then I, when I got her out, I realized that she probably has the highest degree of empathy I've ever seen in a dog. She is one that pulls me in the direction when I don't see someone who needs her. Uh, when she's in a room, when we're having a meeting, she leans in to the person that just needs her a little more. Than, and it's so often afterwards that someone will tell me, how did she know? And I don't know how she knows, but she knows. And she just, she's such a piece of therapy to us as adults and also for our kids. Our kids just adore her. Is it so. one of those things where you go, why the heck didn't we do this sooner? So actually Washington Local already has three therapy dogs at three of the elementary schools or two at the elementary school and one at the high school. So we were kind of familiar with that already. We'd never worked with the Ability Center and of course I brought that relationship with me. So it's kind of one of the you know new guy, right? The new guy's got a relationship with the Ability Center. So that's how we ended up. Oh, I mean, like, why didn't we do this in like 1987? Uh, yeah, or 19. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I think there's a difference. People ask, I get a question a week about, oh, I want to get my dog, you know, certified to be a therapy dog, and then I'm going to bring him to school. No, 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 no. no. So there's a difference, such a difference. This is probably a good commercial for this as well. Such a difference between a dog who is certified for therapy and goes and visits a nursing home or 
the dogs that come from the Ability Center, the dogs that we work with, have been trained in a school, have done the full day of work. Uh, there's a big difference between being a classroom volunteer for an hour at a classroom party and being the teacher in the room, right? Big difference there. Same thing with the dog. It really takes a very special canine to be able to spend an entire day. Uh, it's it's exhausting. I mean, she is exhausted at the end of the day. And it's it takes, you know, good humans that also um, are communicating well. So I think we've got the perfect combination with her. What's her favorite treat? What does she get when she has a, oh, a good she, day at work? She is very, uh, she likes, well, anything that Kim Holmes makes. Let's just be honest about that. I can't compete with that. I could never compete with that. But she loves the dehydrated buffalo. Loves that. So, okay. Yep. Pe- peanut butter at all? Peanut butter, yeah. She's a, okay. yeah she, she knows I'm a sucker for the peanut butter Kong. Got it. So, yep. She knows that's my go-to. Wait, you try to get the peanut butter out of the Kong? No, well, no. I try. I, <laughs> I, might, I might take a taste as it goes into the Kong. So, I might do that. Yeah. Uh, one last question about uh, Ability Center things. Tell me uh, where things are with the Inclusive Playground project. So, Inclusive Playground, actually, they broke ground. We had our ground breaking, but the equipment was delivered yesterday so we've got beautiful weather today so I'm my expectation is that if I drive by there's something going on over there it'll take a couple weeks to get in but we're really really excited to see that that pop I think we've got another ability center question I want to talk about our adaptive sports that please, we're working on with Stuart please. so uh, again learner's mindset really on display there uh, Stuart asked about maybe some adaptive sports I wasn't really sure I, you know I'm pretty good at sports but I, I wasn't sure I knew what he was talking about so I brought my uh, uh Tina Dake is our PE, our physical education department chair. So I brought her with me. She is the best at her craft. I mean, amazingly talented and skilled. And I watched, it was so fun to watch her sit with Stuart and be a complete learner. She really literally didn't have any idea what was about to happen and now I'm watching it happen and it's just the most incredible thing so we are the beneficiaries right now of 10 wheelchairs where Tina is developing with her advanced PE kids uh, a wheelchair basketball unit and the kids are learning to play wheelchair basketball which is different in many ways I learned so much about the differences um, in wheelchair basketball that there are able-bodied people that play on those teams and as well so our kids in that advanced PE class have been now learning and practicing for a couple weeks. I got to duck into a practice last week. It was really fun. And then they're going to play against our girls and boys basketball teams at a pep rally on Friday. Good. They will not have been in the chairs. So they I know? think they kind of know it's coming, okay. but they have had no ability to practice ahead of time. So, you know, we've got kids that aren't necessarily basketball players that certainly played basketball, but that are, you know, going to be more adept in the chair, right? And honestly, through Stuart, um, just, you know, we talked a lot about this, just normalizing chair use. We, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want people to wonder about that. Like, it's just a different mode of transportation, right? That's how I get around. So I think that's that's one of the things we saw bringing Aaron Fotheringham yeah. uh, wheels there. We just want to normalize that. Did, and I think we're doing a good job with that. What so. was the feedback? Oh, my Did, gosh. To hold 500 mil, middle schoolers in the palm of your hand would be any teacher or administrator's dream. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like it. We had them in the Whitmer Auditorium. We split them into two groups because we're big. We had about 520 kids in each group. He literally held them in the palm of his hand. And I wouldn't tell you that he's a super dynamic speaker, um, he but has, he's genuine. He has half a million followers. I mean, he's just amazing. They and the kids that. got to see the, yeah. you know, America's got to, they got to see that video first. And that is 
quite mm-hmm. a shot. And everybody, you know, everybody was, it was fun watching Simon, you know, very nervously climb up the stairs and he wasn't even doing anything hard. So I think, uh, again, I had pulled a couple of kids in from the hallway. One had a skateboard under his arm and I just grabbed him and said, I just want you to sit and listen for five minutes. And he ended, uh, Aaron ended up signing his skateboard for him. That kid just leaned in and hung on his every word. And again, not a better example. I can talk all day about failure, but man, you're seeing it right there. That guy failed way more times, way more times, and he just keeps getting up and trying again. It's one of the best examples of perseverance I think I've he ever He told us in when he visited here for the podcast, and I loved it. It's one of the quotes that I'm stealing. Mm-hmm. It's because uh, it, I asked him, did you ever think about giving up? Mm-hmm. Especially when he told me he was picking his teeth up off the ramp. Mm-hmm. He said, just one more time. Do, just do it one, one more time. time. Which is what he one. said right before he went right back up, right? Yeah. One more time. Yeah. One more time. Um, some some rapid fire questions okay. here. Um, this is more of a, a, not a question of mine, but a point. If I were to suggest that you write a book, it would be about, what would what would Katie Anstant, uh, Anstant suggest everybody have to do before they become an adult? And when I, mm. when I think of this question, I'm asking based on what you did before you do now. Okay. I would say for sure, before you become an adult, you have to have a job. I just saw a really startling statistic lately, uh, just recently rather, that the number of 16 and 17 year olds that are entering college or career that have never had a job in high school is startling. That The drop is just incredible. I have a theory on that. Mm-hmm. Can I? Yeah. My, my theory is simply uh, kids are pressed real hard to get into college and many of them take their after school stuff super seriously, especially mm-hmm. sports. That's why we have a lot of now hiring signs that's mm-hmm. been overlooked because mm-hmm. th- those kids are not there anymore like we right. were. Yeah, no, I I think that when I look back at my early jobs, flipping pizzas, uh, <laughs> stocking shelves at the F&M drugstore, all were things that drove me to know that it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, right? I, I mean, it was a job. I was putting cash in my jeans. That was really important on Friday night. But I really believe that we've got to get kids into the workforce early. And maybe it's just shadowing. Maybe it's, you know, we do a lot of that at Whitmer High School where we connect kids with a lot of different careers and people so that they just get to shadow. Uh, some of those are paid internships. I think it's really, I think washing cars, I, I mean, a real job for another employer, not your dad sending you outside to wash the car, but actually working at a car wash. I think every kid before they enter college, it should be a prerequisite. Kids need to learn how to, they need to see that first paycheck, which is only 70% of what they thought it was going to be. Um, I always love that question from kids like, wait, where's the rest of my paycheck? I did the math in my head, $10 an hour times 40 hours. Why am I only getting 300 bucks? Should have paid attention to the yeah. accounting. Yeah, they should have, exactly. So I think, I think getting a job was... Uh, and working for other people, not my dad bossing me around, um, being accountable, having to show up on time, all of those things. I think it's really important. I would like you to write a book on specific careers mm-hmm. that anybody needs to do. Because mm-hmm. the question in my head when I was listening to your podcast with Brad yes. was listening to you being a salesperson. Yes. I'm like, nobody likes doing sales. Mm-hmm. You did because you were really good at it. And then obviously schools and everything. And I was thinking... Everybody, especially after the last two years, whatever it was, three years, everybody should have to do sales, work in a restaurant, mm-hmm. be a teacher, and do something civically. I like all those things. That, <laughs> that's a good list. I think you know, working in a restaurant, hugely important. I think the thing, again, about sales, you go back, you fail a lot. And I didn't like it in the beginning. I 
I think everyone should have to work so that what they sell is what creates their paycheck. Uh, that was me. I worked on straight commission. And so if I didn't sell what I was selling, didn't get paid. I didn't get paid. And I think that really makes you good at communicating. It makes, you know, it makes you good at follow-up. It makes you good at customer service. I think that was those were good lessons for me. And then I finally worked for someone that actually gave me some education on sales. Let me know that failure is baked into it. Like yeah. you're not going to sell everything you got to sell. But, you know, about a third of the time, you, you're going to get a hit. Last night for the Phillies, a little more than that. But yes. Yeah. So what's, what's something that and I think I know your answer and we've talked about it for the last 30 minutes what's something from your sales background that makes you really good at what you do now uh, honestly, it is probably the the presentation part of it, the passion around. I wouldn't sell something that I didn't believe in, right? When, every company I ever worked for, I believed in what they did. Even if it wasn't like a super meaningful thing, I believed in what they did. I believed in the people that work there. I knew that my sales are what put, you know, paychecks in the print shops, you know, in that printer's back pocket. So I think being passionate about what you do and learning to communicate that, I think communication is probably yeah. I, I was yep. going to say the C word. Yep. And, and in a way, we're all selling something in exactly. our adult lives. Yep, we are. Whether yep. you're a veterinarian, whether you're a mm-hmm. radio, we're all selling something, even if you're not going and knocking on people's doors, having them slammed in your face. Right. You were a pet groomer as well? Yes. So uh, that was probably my oddest job. I owned a kennel and grooming, actually quite big, 400. Over spring break, it was in Hudson, Ohio. And over spring break, everyone in Hudson goes on spring break. They actually shut down some of the restaurants back then. I don't know if they still do, but uh, we would have about 400 dogs for that week of spring break and usually a couple hundred during the week. So um, you get to know black labs by the way they look at you because um, you'd have 40 or 50 black labs in one building. So I, you know, been a dog lover forever. Uh, what's something you miss about being in the classroom on a day-to-day basis? Oh, kids, kids, kids. I try to get around kids as much as I can right now, but um, I, I was the best analogy I have of this job is I had a toy as a kid that was that punching bag. Um, so there used to be like a balloon and it had sand in the bottom and you would punch it. I mm-hmm. suppose, you know, it was the old boxing thing for my parents or whatever. And, you know, you'd punch it and punch it and punch it and it would keep getting up, keep getting up. And eventually, and that's kind of what the superintendency is. You get a lot of punches in the face, right? Uh, but, I, you know, every once in a while it would wilt. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. My dad would come in and he would pump it back up again. Everyone should do a job that whatever that is that lifts you up is what brings you back to being willing to be punched in the face again. And I will tell you, for me, that's kids. That's kids. They they lift us up. My entire purpose is around making their lives better. So kind of like even on my worst day at work, it's still better than most other places? That, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what time do you get up in the morning? Um, I'm usually up by 530 what do you do when you completely shut down and absolutely will sl- smack yourself in the face for answering an email at night? What do you do when you're shut down? <sighs> sleep. And I don't sleep much. I'm, I have a pretty short night. Uh, usually I don't go to bed before 1130 usually. And I'm usually, you know, awake at 2 a.m. thinking about all the things I need to do the next day. But I, my one constant is yoga. Uh, I practice every morning. That's why my alarm is set at 530. Uh, I practice yoga every single morning. It's as much, It's for me, it's for my physical health as well as for my mental health. So, And really nothing gets in the way of that. If I've got a meeting where I've got to be out earlier, I just set my alarm earlier and we do yoga earlier. So, do you, do you, what's something that 
people would not believe about you based on your superintendent persona? People are always surprised to learn that I was a Harley rider. So <laughs> I owned four Harleys. I rode them myself. People always think, oh, you rode on the back. Nope. I owned my own Harleys. I rode motorcycles. I loved that period of my life for that. I loved that I got off of one put it away and didn't ever get hurt badly on one. So I, a lot of people are not that fortunate, but I loved, I, I just saw a lot of the country um, riding my motorcycle and I loved it. Your superintendency, that's the correct word, is the epilogue of this great book of your life. Do you know that? No, I didn't. I didn't. You you are, an, I, I could literally sit here and ask you things for hours. I didn't know about the sports stuff. I'll mm-hmm. ask you the Phillies thing when we're done yeah, here. Okay. One last question and mm-hmm. thank you so much for being here and taking time out of your day to do this. What's a controversial, uh, as we, we depart candy corn season. We're mm-hmm. getting into his Die Hard a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. All that nonsense. What's a controversial uh, internet opinion like that that you have? A controversial internet opinion? Uh, like um, no pineapple on pizza? That kind of nonsense. Oh, gosh. Um, I would say, uh, oh, man. that's You're right. You stumped me there. I think probably the one right now that I'm, you know, I'm just, just the amount of... I don't know, the amount of anger, right? That's my that's my thing right now. Like everybody's, like people are getting on the internet to put a statement out there that they don't even necessarily believe just to see if they can stir up anger. So to me, it's like, really? I, I just don't have the bandwidth for that. I, you know, I try to keep my bandwidth pretty clear, um, pretty focused on kids. And I guess, yeah, I'll that's not con- on pizza. That's not controversial at all. No, it's it, not. It, well, but it is. I mean, I don't know why there's enough people out there doing it that it stirs up. I will tell you, I am not on social media. Um, I have a very, a very uh, secured Twitter follower list. It's either, you know, either my football players, my Whitmer sports, or really great educational leaders that I follow. I, I, I curate that very carefully because I won't let the negative in. Yeah. If, and it's once in a while it sneaks in. I So, okay, so pineapple on pizza? Oh, gosh, yeah, I would do that. There's not, you know, I, you know here's the thing. I'm that person that will try almost anything. Um as far as food or yeah no. by the time this year's thanksgiving will be around white or dark mm. meat white 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 for sure and i just came off being a vegetarian for almost two years so i'm looking forward to thanksgiving this year good yeah. well happy thanksgiving thank and you thank you so much for visiting thanks for being the uh, everything that i had hoped to chat with i could sit here and chat with you for hours thanks for taking time thanks for leading washington local in the way that you are and all the great things including the new buildings to come oh thank you and go phillies this is chief armstrong with toledo fire and rescue 68 words has been a production of the Ability Center, hosted by Cumulus Media's Eric Chase. Engineering provided by Will Mellon and executive produced by Mallory Crooks. If you, your group, organization, or business is interested in hosting a disability awareness experience or have other inquiries, please contact info at abilitycenter.org. Until next time, think differently. Think differently. Think differently.